Hello and welcome back to So You Got a LifeSide Degree. We're your hosts, Farida and Lisa, two LifeSide undergrad students trying to navigate our future careers. This is episode 16 and we're talking to Alistair Tracy about being an undergraduate coordinator in the Department of Biology at McMaster University. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm doing good. I got a good night of sleep last night, which is a bit unusual for an insomniac. And I also have follow-up. So in our last episode, our special half-birthday episode, number 15, at one point we talked about who would be more likely to go bungee jumping and we both <laughs> talked about how neither of us are likely and I don't remember what conclusion we came to but anyways bungee jumping is scary mm-hmm. um and literally the next day I was on my Instagram feed and I see this photo that Alex Honnell the famous rock climber posted that's just him on a climb but just to chill out between working on the climb he's literally just swinging from his like <laughs> climbing rope <laughs> From the wall and back. Oh, wow. Wait, yeah. let me take a look at this post. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we don't know if we really be down to like, and he's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is like swinging, but on a whole other level. <laughs> <laughs> also, how does he come back? What if he can't reach the wall afterwards? <laughs> well, maybe he's still out there. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, in other news, I have a really exciting life update. Yes. What um, is and I've been not telling you this because I've been wanting to tell you it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So we have a mutual friend who I will not name by name, but they go to Waterloo and they're in Mechatronics. And so I've mentioned before that I have some physical health conditions that make it so that I can't do certain things. So one of those things is pressing down on the sustain pedal on the piano. So like mm-hmm. when you play like your right foot, you press down on the pedal and it's it's really important for some songs. It just sounds right. for most songs. It sounds really bad about it. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. And so what I started doing a couple years ago was I was like, wait, I can do like a semi solution to this. And so we have two 10 pound weights at home. <laughs> and so what I do is I kind of just like position them on top of the pedal. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I get the full like 20 pounds of force, mm-hmm. but like a decent amount of weight. It just like keeps it down and then I play. Oh, nice. Um, but I'm moving to Hamilton soon. And so I was thinking I want to be able to play the pianos around campus. And just in general, like I want to be able to play pianos without lugging around like two 10 pound weights. <laughs> with yeah. me it's not very practical and so I was like wait I can work with someone like I can hire someone to design a piano pedal clamp for me Ooh. so it's not like a perfect solution because in an ideal world like if I was going all out I would be able to like I don't know click my tongue to change the pedal like every <laughs> yeah. four seconds or something but semi-solutions are also great solutions of course um yeah, yeah and so I so I ran it by this friend and they were like yeah like I think I could take a shot at that um and so for the past I think month or so we've been kind of going back and forth and working on a design for this piano pedal clamp together oh my god that's so cool yeah i know i've been like sketching diagrams like i've been taking measurements i've been getting splinters from sticking my finger on the underside of the piano where the manufacturer obviously didn't intend you to put your finger yeah Um, and yeah it's really cool we've decided that we're probably it's probably going to be 3d printed Mm -hmm. um and i think he's just he's like working on a prototype right now and yeah that's yeah, so cool. So, yeah, I've I been know. wondering about this so much because you told me you and the spender are working on some kind of secret yeah. project that you're going to yeah. tell me about later. Yeah, I had no idea what it could be because I feel yeah. like your realm of interest besides yeah. like, space don't overlap that much. So I was like... Lisa and computer and Yeah, engineering. exactly. I was like, well, I have no idea what this could be. <laughs> yeah. 
Also, 3D printing is shockingly cheap. Yeah. They said that they were going to print a prototype and I was like, oh, like how much is it going to be? I just wanted to know because I don't want to print a prototype if it's going to be like 10 bucks. But he did the calculations for me. It was something like 62 cents. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. wow. I think it's one of those things where like the initial cost to set up like a 3D yeah, printer yeah, is a yeah, lot, yeah, but then definitely. each print is a lot less. Yeah. No, they own a 3D printer, which mm-hmm, I did not yeah. know. But that really makes things easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, really exciting. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we all your plans after now that i (laughs) know what the project is (laughs) yeah what about you you recently had dental adventures (laughs) yeah so i got my wisdom teeth out about two weeks ago (laughs) she's less wise (laughs) yeah also they were huge i was like i can't believe they fit in my mouth teeth are scary like you don't think about like we only see like the top of the tooth yeah it goes down all the way into your gum it's kind of terrifying yeah like as the surgeon was taking them out he's like whoa these are really big like you must be really wise (laughs) (laughs) if you're wondering like why was frida able to hear that during her surgery it's because she was conscious yeah um most people aren't but she was (laughs) i decided to get the smallest amount of anesthesia so it's like just local small weird way of phrasing it the lowest dose (laughs) yeah Yeah, sure yeah yeah Yeah. they said there was three levels and so the the second one is the one that makes you kind of like loopy and like people make videos about it Mm -hmm. but i got the one that's even less i could smell and hear everything but it was honestly fine I think I might have talked about this before, but I had three dental surgeries like in the past year Mm -hmm. um, for like gum surgeries. And when I booked my first one, I was initially like, oh, of course I want to be like knocked out completely. Um, But in the weeks leading up to the surgery, I have this fear of like being unconscious or just like not being (laughs) present. And so I was, I started to realize I was legitimately more anxious about the anesthesia than the actual (laughs) surgery. And then I called them and I was like, can we just not do the anesthesia? They were like, yeah, sure. And I was like, oh, okay. And then my anxiety immediately dissipated. I was like, I'm ready for you to rip out my gums (laughs) yeah i think there's a cgp gray video about this or he's talking about uh transporters in star trek oh yeah like yeah yeah, like the only way they can work is by like basically killing your body and then recreating it again and you don't know that that doesn't happen when you go unconscious yeah (laughs) it's terrifying (laughs) i mean without giving away too many spoilers if you're into that kind of thing, the movie called The Prestige by Christopher Nolan is a mm. really good movie and it's a really underrated movie of his. Yeah. So would recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Lisa, what's the what's the squirrel of the week? The squirrel of the week is Family Squirrel. Ooh, what is Family Squirrel? <laughs> family Squirrel is, okay, listen, I have to ask you something. <laughs> and this is kind of like an ask for forgiveness instead of ask for permission. Oh no, um, what did you do? So, okay, so what's the line with squirrels, Rita? Like, I know that it's like a squirrel of the week but can we have like a group of is this like the nobel prize where there can only be maximum three squirrels collectively that get the squirrel of the week or can it be like a whole collection of squirrels because okay so i was walking back from the pharmacy through this kind of like wooded area Mm -hmm. and then i kind of just see like these three squirrels dart across the asphalt path yeah and it was it was really cute and one of them looked considerably smaller than the others so i was like oh my goodness could it be a baby you know and then i watched them scamper over the fence and then you know being the squirrel enthusiast i am i looked at them like kind of like where they went and they started running around this giant tree and i was like okay and then as 
I watch, there's like three or four other squirrels that emerge <gasps> and start like clambering around the tree with them. And then, so I walk closer to the fence to take a look. Mm-hmm. And then there's, there was definitely more than 10. It was oh my like gosh. a dozen squirrels. What was happening? I don't know. They, they were going crazy. Like there was this fallen log on the ground that was kind of hollow. Mm-hmm. And they were going like in and out of the log. Oh <laughs> like they were going inside the log, over the log, down again. They were going absolutely crazy. I don't know what was up. I think there was a squirrel town hall or something. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so cute. I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, and so I was just like staring at you. Know, I was just standing there watching all these little squirrels. And it suddenly occurs to me that I'm standing like right in the middle of the path. Mm-hmm. And so I look to my left to see if there's anyone coming up that I need to move out of the way for. And I look and a few meters away from me is this ish elderly man mm-hmm. who's also standing there just looking at the squirrels. <laughs> Lisa in 30 years. <laughs> like, yeah, me. I will be an elderly man in 30 years. Close enough. Yeah. That's very funny. This feels like that moment in Rick and Morty when Morty can hear the yes! squirrels and oh they're God, just yes! like, planning the future of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what went on at that town hall. We don't speak of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very nice. All right. Are you ready to interview with Alistair? I am so absolutely ready to interview Alistair. This podcast is sponsored by Kickin' Back Alpaca Ranch. Kickin' Back Alpaca Ranch is an alpaca farm near Collingwood, Ontario that's run by Carolyn and Doug Lilliman. They raise beautiful alpacas, offer close-up alpaca tours, and create wonderful products from alpaca fiber. At the moment, all their tours are in small groups and last between 45 and 90 minutes. During this time, you'll get the chance to pet the alpacas, feed them treats, and take lots of photos. You even get to learn all sorts of interesting facts about the species, like why they don't like it when you touch their heads. Plus, after the tour, you get to visit their store and check out some cute alpaca products. I was surprised to see the range of items they offer, including socks, dryer balls, and get this, alpaca plushies made using real alpaca fiber. I myself have visited their ranch this past summer. My favorite part of my tour was without a doubt seeing all the cute baby alpacas who are also known as Kriyas. They are just so, so adorable. My favorite Kriya was Pipsqueak, who is a small, fluffy white alpaca. But lately, I think I'm taking a real liking to Paisley, who is a young alpaca that looks like she always has a tiny smile on her face. It's especially fun getting to feed them treats. The feeling of their mouths nibbling against your palms is just such a delight. Hickenback Alpaca Ranch is open year-round and are currently following all government protocols regarding COVID-19. You can book a tour at www.alpacatours.ca. Their alpaca products are also available for purchase online at www.laslin.com, that's L-A-S-L-Y-N.com, or at the link in the show notes. You can also follow them on social media at the links in the show notes for cute alpaca photos. But most importantly, book a tour and pay those cute alpacas a visit. This week's guest is Alastair Tracy. Alastair is a level two undergraduate coordinator in the Department of Biology at McMaster University. He has been at McMaster for the past 12 years. In 2020, he was awarded the McMaster Presence Award for Outstanding Contributions to Teaching and Learning for Innovative Teaching Methods in Biology 1A03, a first-year cellular and molecular biology course. He's also received the highest honor of all, multiple Reddit posts from students affirming that he is a lovely human being. Thank you for joining us today, Alastair. So the first question that we have for you is if you could just let us know, what does it mean to be an undergraduate coordinator at McMaster? What is your job? So my job is dealing with a lot of the student interaction 
uh, for starters. So I feel like the most important aspect of my job is doing my best to ensure that the students have sort of a positive learning experience. I'm kind of the face of a lot of the courses, I guess, where the students will come to me with questions and their problems, and hopefully I can uh, rectify things for them. Um, I do a lot of the administrative work for the courses, such as uh, the work related to the learning management system, which uh, McMaster University is avenue to learn, calculating student grades, answering lots of student inquiries, and also um, a lot of course development too. So whether that's um, developing documents for the course, such as the course outlines, or doing curriculum development for the, the labs or the tutorials, sometimes um, evaluations and things like that, and uh, from time to time even lecture content. So my job, I do a lot of a lot of things behind the scenes that students probably don't see, but um, my position I think is primarily student-centric, and uh, I'm really here for the students. Mm-hmm. And so your job title is that you are the level two undergraduate coordinator. So if my understanding is correct, McMaster, the biology department has four undergraduate coordinators, one for each level. Do you want to just tell us a bit about, are you involved in all the courses in level two? Do you also work with some of the other coordinators, that kind of thing? So in the department of biology at McMaster uh, University, there are three undergraduate coordinators. Um, actually one for level one, one for level two, and one for level three. And that's how our duties are kind of broken up assigned essentially to the, the corresponding course level. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm the level two coordinator, so I coordinate almost all of the level two courses. We generally are uh, associated or with uh, the larger enrollment courses. So if it's a lower enrollment course in the department, um, sometimes we don't have an association with that course where we're the course coordinator. Prior to being the level two coordinator, I was the first year coordinator for 10 years. So I do still work within the first year courses. I guess it's almost like in a consulting position in a sense. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, like the students don't really see me or know me so much anymore, but um, I'm still part of the instructional team from the perspective of, of developing some content and uh, helping with um, you know, decision-making and, and direction for the courses, especially when it comes to course revisions and refinements and things like that. So I still, you know, I'm answering questions and I still do a lot of stuff. Last summer, even though I wasn't officially Part of the instructional team when we pivoted to the online delivery of the labs for biology 1a03 i rewrote the entire lab manual pretty much to design it for virtual delivery as opposed to what the students were doing in person so that was a lot of work and uh although as as you said like i'm kind of a level two person i'm still uh, working a lot with level one and a little bit here and there with level three i do work a lot certainly with the other coordinators the level one and the level three coordinators Usually we're just um, helping each other out when we can, especially if we have knowledge or, or experience with the other courses. And we kind of bounce ideas off each other. And uh, a lot of times you're curious as to what's going on in the other courses or how a certain situations being dealt with or uh, you know, if, if certain content's being taught where we should expect that students kind of know this coming into our courses or things like that. So there is, there is a lot of uh, discussion between the three of us and uh, we do work I think, quite well as a team. Could you tell us what kind of an average day of work looks like to you, let's say, before the pandemic hit? Just kind of like what time would you arrive at work? What would be the things that you're doing throughout the day? Lunch break kind of thing? Leave work time? That sort of thing. I don't live very close to campus. So my work, start of my work day, uh, if you're looking for like a, a time that I start at, that, that, that varies. I'm about a 50, 50 minute commute from campus. Yikes. So. If the weather's bad or traffic's bad or there's an accident on one of the major highways, it takes a little longer. So, but it also, you know, I have two young children, so I get them off to school and then I head to work. So 
I'd say my day starts around nine o'clock um, on average. And usually, depending on what's going on on that particular day, I always like to sort of make myself available to uh, the students while they're in lab or tutorial. You know, I might kind of check in and just see how things are going and have a chat with the, the, the teaching assistant just to see if everything's running smoothly. I'm not really checking up on the teaching assistant, like not at all. And I, I tell them that. I say, you know, if you, if you see me pop in, it's, it's just something that I've always done over the years. And a lot of the times when students see me come in, say hey can I ask you a question or I sent you an email yesterday and I know you're really busy so I'd rather ask you now in person because your email might email reply might be a couple might be delayed a couple of days right so I like to sort of check in on what's going on at the time when I arrive uh, after that it's oddly a very complex job like from behind the scenes and students don't really realize it it could be completing emails on student correspondence and making sure they get answers to their questions that's a good good chunk of my day. Certainly when we're on campus, my office is like a throughway. Um, I have office hours, you know, generally every day. I would uh, dedicate like an hour. It's usually around lunchtime for lunch hour. <laughs> and that was sort of my dedicated office hour time if I was available or if I didn't have a meeting or if I wasn't like a meeting meeting or something like that. But I had always told students, you know, if you're passing by and if you can't come during my office hour, just stop by. And if my door is open, my office door is open, just come in. So when we're on campus, my office is often populated with students dropping by to ask questions and things like that. So that's a lot of my a lot of my day, and that's great because that's as I said, that's kind of what I have the university for in a lot of ways. And then you know, scrambling sometimes to get things ready for the upcoming week, such as you know the the labs and the assignments and evaluations and getting student grades ready and getting tests marked and organizing the teaching assistants is a huge part of the job. I've tried to schedule things so that there's at least one day of the week that there aren't labs and tutorials running. And that generally turns out to be a Monday if I can. And Mondays are at the start of the week. And sometimes I think people want to start off the week maybe a little bit more, a little bit slower than the other days. Uh, Mondays are my busiest day because I will schedule all my teaching assistant meetings that week to get the TAs ready for the upcoming week, whatever's coming up. So and sometimes it's multiple meetings per day, depending on how many courses there are, depending on schedules. There was one year where I had six TA meetings in a, in a day. So that was six hours out of my day on Monday that was uh, gone. So lunch, I try to catch lunch when I can. I wouldn't say there's a, a dedicated time each day that I eat my lunch. I don't sit down at 11.30 or 12 o'clock. If I do, it's it's just because I can sneak it in then. Sometimes it's later in the afternoon. Sometimes it's I. there was a time I can remember, I remember when I was still the first year coordinator, I realized after a little bit of reflection that it had been three weeks since I'd taken a lunch break. And, you know, it's really just kind of grabbing a bite to eat in my office quickly as I'm working as opposed to like a dedicated time. So it's it's pretty busy. And, you know, there was a time a few years ago, again, I was the first year coordinator. And I, I remember hearing from people like uh, from my colleagues that they were kind of joking around that they were going to send out a search party to come look for me because they hadn't seen me in like six weeks. <laughs> because I, I'm in a, a separate building from most of them where they work uh, within the Department of Biology. So I was in the Burke Science Building and most of the biology-related things happened in the Life Sciences Building. So they hadn't seen me in so long because I hadn't been in the open building, the other building for any reason. And the joke was that they were going to have to send a, a daily search party out looking for me to make sure that I was okay. And So it, it gets a little bit crazy. And then the end of each day is kind of turns into a bit of a scramble to make sure that everything is ready for the following day. So my days are variable some days you know i'm on campus till 5 p.m 6 p.m 7 p.m 8 p.m it just really depends on how much i have to do that day and, and what i know i need to get done to ensure that things are going to run smoothly for the next day for the teaching assistants and the students and the courses in general you know 
I always kind of joked around saying you need to get every, these things done so that the train stays on the tracks for the following day. And if the train falls off the tracks in these big courses, it's it's kind of t- tough sometimes yeah. to get the train back on the tracks. Things fall apart very quickly. Yeah, when there's 1,500 students on the train, it's kind of hard to mm. uh, get it get it back running smoothly. I feel like that's one of the things that students don't realize. I think when I was a TA for 1MO3 last fall semester, it, it kind of gave me some perspective into, wow, like it's a week before classes start. I don't know what tutorial I'm TA. <laughs> <laughs> it's less maybe like official and like all set up than, than some students may think coming up to like a big institution like McMaster. Definitely a lot of behind the scenes scrambling going on sometimes especially recently lots of moving parts for sure and uh you know when what it's it's very interesting that you say that because when undergraduate students become teaching assistants they might have thought back to first year and and yeah chat with me (laughs) and we're kind of wondering like what's going on behind the scenes or why aren't my test grades out like i wrote the test like a week ago or something like that who's my ta and and why don't i have a discussion forum or or why isn't and there are so many moving parts. And when a lot of undergrads became TAs and worked with me, I don't know if it's working for me, but when they worked with me, um, especially for, you know, within the first year courses, they were just flabbergasted once they realized like what was going on behind the scenes and how much work it takes to keep things organized. And even though sometimes it feels like it's not, they realized pretty quickly that it could be way crazier, right? So. There's a lot of work behind the scenes and they realize, wow, like I, I had no idea that this is what my TA had to do, or I had no idea that this is what the course instructors were doing. There's just so many other things. And, and I've had lots of quite a, quite a number of you know teaching assistants at the end of the term come and talk to me afterwards and say, like, we had no idea what was going on when in first year, like everything now makes so much more sense. It didn't seem like it did then. And I always kind of tell the TAs, I said, like, there is method to the madness, you know, you just have to bear with me. And, and usually they realize it. And I remember one particular teaching assistant that uh, was actually like a teaching assistant sort of project student that was that was working with me and after the fact just came up to me and talked to me and said you know I like have so much respect now for what you do he said when I was in first year I used to like talk to my friends and be like what does that guy even do like does he just sit in his office all day and talk to students like what's that guy doing and and now after becoming like ingrained with the course from the other side of the, the desk I guess the other side of the table he was just loud. He couldn't believe how much was going on. And I think what a lot of students also don't realize is the course coordinators are actually responsible for a lot of decision-making as well. So mm-hmm. being the, the common face between the three court, the three terms, I'm primarily the person that's responsible for keeping as much consistency as I can between the offers and offerings. Mm-hmm. So lots of things. It's a very, it's a much more complex job than a lot of people realize. And as I said, I think a lot of teaching assistants whether they were undergrads and now they're a graduate student at McMaster, or if they're undergrads at the time and they're working as an undergraduate teaching assistant, all of them, once they see the behind the scenes a little bit more, I think they realize, wow, this is really what was happening in the first year. And it just makes so much more sense now. Right. Yeah. It seems like it's not, it's not purely like the administrative side. Like there's also like, you are also involved in designing the actual curriculum and the learning and such. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of which, um, I was wondering if you could you alluded to it briefly when you mentioned your own background, but do you know anything about these positions in general, what the qualifications they're looking for, like knowledge in the subject area, teaching ability? Um, do you know if like a PhD is like often a requirement? I, I know it might depend on the subject and uh, the school, but yeah, just a bit about that. So a PhD, I don't think would be required from the perspective of, you know, if you were looking at the job application, if it was posted, I don't think you would see, uh, you know, a PhD as a requirement. When I replied, I believe 
uh, a master's degree was uh, the minimum lo uh, education level. And that's what I've kind of seen when positions have been posted uh, recently, like whether it's in the form of biology or, or chemistry, there's a, a little bit of movement once in a while, you know, people might go on parental leaves or something like that. They need to hire somebody to, uh, to cover a parental leave or something like that. And there's a little bit of movement in retirement, things like that. That's actually why I moved into the, uh, the second year level courses was there was a retirement in the department of biology. And it was just kind of decided that uh, <laughs> Uh, shift into the second year level courses from the first year level courses when that retirement happened. So uh, a lot of these um, positions are, are, I believe, looking for a graduate degree, likely discipline specific, and probably they would probably be looking for somebody that has a little bit of teaching and learning experience or a teaching and learning background as well, uh, with you know, maybe some experience with teaching or some experience with developing curriculum and things like that. That would probably, I believe, be a lot of sort of the boxes that they would like to have checked off somebody that was going to be hired for the position, I think. Mm -hmm. And speaking of teaching and learning, based on your experiences, how would you say that you think that teaching and learning, you know, in, in universities in general has evolved over the, the past several years? Um, and like, where do you think it's headed in the future, if, if there's anything that's changing? You know, so being at the university for, for 12 years, uh, it's been a while since I was an undergraduate student, but even 12 years ago, things were a lot closer to my experience as an undergraduate student than, than they are now, for sure. So 12 years ago, you know, educational technologies were not being used as widespreadly and, you know, blended learning and things like that were sort of in their infancy. Um, I remember realizing this just a couple of years ago. I was, um, I was in a lecture and then I was leaving the lecture hall halfway through and I'm at the back of this large lecture hall and all you could hear it was like, it was like a symphony it's crazy yeah no it's absolutely insane you know when the professor just said something important because suddenly like the tapping it intensifies it was crazy i hadn't i hadn't really heard it in a large lecture hall in the back and this was again a couple of years ago so i think students that sit at the back of the lecture hall probably hear it all the time they're used to it and i can't imagine if you're sitting at the front just you know based upon the acoustics in the room that you hear it that this is loud and it's prominent it was like this symphony it was really loud. Like I, I just thought I looked around and went, wow, like that is the sound of students, you know, tapping on their keyboards. And I mean, it's pretty obvious. Five hundred students, pretty obvious what the sound is, where the sound's coming from. But even thinking back to you know about twelve years ago, not every student had a laptop during mm -hmm. lecture. Right. You know, I, I don't have any you know, data to back it up, but you know, being in the lectures and just looking around, I would estimate it was less than half, probably like maybe like forty percent, thirty to forty percent of students. Even 12 years ago, came to lecture with a, a laptop in hand, and, and now it's it's got to be 90% plus for sure. And uh, so, I mean, you wouldn't have heard that 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 sound echoing at the back of the lecture hall, you know, 12 years ago. So that's that's a small thing. Is I think students are are, are becoming more dependent on their their own tech, their own personal technology, whether it's their computer or their phone. And I think that's changed even in the last few years, or certainly in the last decade for sure. And then just trends in education are changing and. Blended learning is a big thing. Some students, I think, like it. Some students don't. Um, you know, develop you know blended learning being the, the delivery of a course with face-to-face you know, -face interactions and also um, giving the students some sort of uh, technology to do some learning on their own. So I uh, McMaster a lot of this is through face-to-face you know, -face lectures, but also online modules that we call them. They're basically online lectures. It's one model of blended learning, but I think, especially with what's going on right now with the pandemic, everything shifting fully virtually, I, I don't know that we're going to go back to full in-person classes with these massive 
numbers of students sitting in lecture halls together until there's some level of you know, uh, vaccination in the general population. So I think blended learning is, is kind of something that's here to stay. If it wasn't already here to stay, it's, uh, it's, it's probably even going to be more prevalent in a lot of the courses in the upcoming terms until uh, the community and the universities is, is, is more comfortable with students being back on campus. So I don't have any answers and I don't know what's going to happen in September, um, but I just, I don't think we're going to see 600 students sitting in a lecture hall together for, mm -hmm. for, a, long, for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so either. So I think just trending, yeah, trending uh, towards things in education, just uh, more use of technology and, and using different tools and things like that. I think that's going to continue. So, you know, hopefully they're beneficial to students. I, I, you know, I hate when technology gets implemented just because it's kind of trendy or there's not a lot of data or a lot of evidence that it's actually beneficial. It's just like, oh, this is kind of cool. Let's just, let's just try it out and see what happens, you know? And it, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm, 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 I, I like when things uh, have some data to back it up. Uh, and it's not just a sales pitch from a from a company or a sales rep, and and a lot of the times this stuff might work one place, but it doesn't work at another school. So maybe they're trying to sell you something, or they want you to use something that was used in a class of thirty at a, a smaller university, and you know this worked out great, and the students loved it, and that might work well for a class of thirty, but it might not work well for a class of a thousand or two thousand or whatever it is. So you don't want fifteen hundred guinea pigs. Yeah. So I like you know I. I uh, as, as much as technology is great for education and the, the research does show that blended learning is beneficial for students from a lot of perspectives, you know, teaching and le for learning and, and even their, their grades are generally better, but, uh, you know, implementing things just for the sake of implementing them, or I, I'm not a big fan of that. So. Mm -hmm. so you mentioned new learning strategies. And so is researching these things, um, like looking into studies on them or keeping up with up and coming, you know, like education tools, is that also part of your job and and if so how often do you do that uh it's part of my job i would say i probably do that a lot more when the wheels start turning and there's discussions start to begin about major course revisions perhaps so if, if there's talk of it's time to uh, develop some a brand new suite of labs for a course or a brand new suite of tutorials or this course was a, a traditionally taught course it was all face-to-face -face lectures and let's go we're going to change to a blended learning model that's when i probably certainly look into that a lot more but i do keep up on uh, the research as much as i can when i have time to do so it's 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 all a bit of a time crunch for me it's i don't set aside an hour of my day or a few hours a week for that sort of stuff but um even it even when things aren't being completely overhauled and maybe students don't realize this on the other side is even term to term to term, I was always making small tweaks or small revisions. And a lot of the time it was related to student feedback, the end of term surveys. Students probably don't believe it, but I read every single comment, every single one. Some of them are practical and can be implemented and some are crazy like, I hate Friday night tests, no more Friday night tests. Well, <laughs> there's actually, as I was kind of mentioning earlier, there's method to the madness and there's actually a reason why the tests are friday nights uh, but uh in first year courses in particular at mcmaster some science courses have friday night tests which uh, first year chemistry course my first year chemistry tests were Ooh, 8 a.m yeah. 8 a.m saturday mornings so those weren't fun <laughs> but uh yeah so I, I do keep trying to keep up with that stuff especially when i can mm -hmm. so and just a follow-up question, partly for my own curiosity, do you know when they started using Avenue at McMaster or just in universities in general? Because I cannot imagine being in university in such a huge class and not having Avenue. So Avenue in particular, it's actually a, a company company actually that provides Avenue to Learn, which is McMaster's learning management system or McMaster's LMS uh, is called Desire to Learn. 
which is actually a Canadian company. I think they've actually recently changed their name again. I just can't remember what the name change is offhand. So Avenue to Learn, I think, has been used at McMaster since 2013, perhaps? Oh, did they have something before that? Yeah, so there were other systems before that. There was a system that lasted for about a year <laughs> prior to Avenue to Learn or prior to the Desire to Learn product. It lasted for, I think, a year. Uh, it crashed like crazy. Oh no, those poor students. <laughs> I remember being in lecture, first day of class, uh, with uh, the Biology 1M03 students. It was 8.30 in the morning, first day of the term. So it was their first, for a lot of them, their first university class. And I decided to show them uh -oh. you know, our learning management system and try to show them where they'd be able to locate things. Just give a little tour of, hey, when you're looking through your lecture notes, this is where you'll find it. This is where you'll find your lab notes and make sure you keep up with the, with the announcements. A lot of the stuff that I kind of give to students in first year when, uh, when I first meet them. And it wouldn't load and it wouldn't load and it wouldn't load and nothing happened. And I thought, oh, this is trouble. And it's so super embarrassing because it's their first day of university for a lot of them first lecture and I'm standing up there it was embarrassing like what can I say and, and I, I think I just said listen I don't know what's going on I just wanted to just keep in touch with me and the number of emails that I got that term without having a learning management system up and running because it actually it didn't work for about six to eight weeks and then they thought they'd fixed it and then it crashed again in January for about four weeks so anyways that one was only about a year and prior to that there was another one called WebCT which I think they've been around for a while that was the one that was at the university when I started. So that one even predates me. So learning learning management systems have existed for probably close to 20 years now. I did not have learning management systems when I was an undergrad. We're kind of like reaching the end of the interview. So uh, one more question that we wanted to ask you was, what did you wish that you had known before becoming an undergraduate coordinator at Mac, if anything? It's a good question. Yeah, I think I haven't really encountered anything where I thought to myself, you know, I didn't sign up for this or I don't want this to be part of my job. Um, I think the most difficult part of my job is is probably academic integrity. Um, mm. I deal with a lot of the academic integrity issues within the courses, which is kind of another layer of responsibility as part of the job. So I think that's probably the most difficult part of my job. As I said, I don't think there is there's any aspect of my job that I think to myself, you know, I just I wish I didn't have to do this. Academic integrity is my least the least favorite part of my job, the least enjoyable <laughs> part of my job. I'm not going to by far... And I hate it, but I have to, you know, it's part of part of the job and I have to do take it seriously. And it's it's part of uh, you know, the expectations of the, of the university, right? So, right? so that's that's that. I think probably prior to being in the position, I, I don't, probably didn't realize how many different things are going on and how many sort of how many how many hats you have to wear. An administrator, uh, a supervisor, uh, a teacher, a learner, a mentor, all these things. I, I, I don't think I realized how diverse the job was and how how important it was to so many students and how integral, you know, doing a good job in the position I think is. And you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm perfect and everything's perfect, but you know, I, I've had to work very, very hard over the years and try, try to do try my best to, to uh, give the students a really positive and uh, enjoyable first year experience in particular, and hopefully second year experience now. So I think just going in, I, th I think if I had a, uh, if I had more knowledge of how many different things uh, go on in the job, uh, that probably would have helped me get started. But um, had great people to work with and had a few mentors myself I've needed you know help over the years with things too so that's that's probably it very sweet um and lastly just for fun 
Do you have any funny stories of something a student has done or tried to get away with or a mistake you've made or just something funny that has happened while you've been working at McMaster? Uh, I have well, lots and lots of stories, certainly. <laughs> I know there, there's been many uh, PIA professor events that you have been a part of. I've been PIA'd a, few, a couple of times or a few times now <laughs> at uh, PIA professor events. Uh, last year's event was interesting because uh, the student really took a good swing at me. Yeah, you told me about that. <laughs> and uh, I actually thought my nose was broken. Which, oh, goodness. Which would be a second time. So, uh, and I thought, wow, that's, uh, that was interesting. A second time in your life or a second time? A second time in my life, pie. yeah, no. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, no, not from you, a pie, no. <laughs> you, would, you would think you would learn after the first pie and, and not do it anymore. <laughs> no, it was the first time I was uh, playing soccer, so. But, uh, yes, yeah, so that was, you know, I, that was a fun one. I think students enjoyed uh, seeing that. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There was a student years ago it's been a few years since he graduated now, and uh, he used to come to my office quite a lot just to come in. He would just come and stop and sit and sit down and just chat. Like he was, it wasn't, often it wasn't course related. It wasn't university related. He would just come in and sit down and be like, hey, how's it going? What's going on? How's your day going? Or, and he, like he would just chat to me like we were buddies, and, and that's fine. Aww. Obviously, there, there's a line that has to be drawn sometimes, but uh, yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. So he comes into my office one time, and he sits down, and he looks at me. And, uh, and he just says, yeah, I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you. And I said, come on, you can't do that to me. He says, you can't imagine what is written about you on one of the bathroom stall walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I said, come on, you have to tell me. Like, you can't say that and not follow through. <laughs> he said, I, I can't, I, I can't tell you. Like, it's like, it's so bad. And I said, come on, just tell right. I said, well, then tell me where it is. And I'll go, you know, oh I'll, I'll go look for it myself. I wasn't, I wasn't overly interested, but um, he just was like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. It was very funny because he never, he never told me what it was. And he just kind of left me hanging. <laughs> and uh, I always think back to that, uh, it, you know, that student, uh, a, great, a great student, a great guy. So if it makes you feel better, I've never read anything bad about you on any bathroom walls. Yeah. Well, so. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but uh, that was very, that was very, very funny. That one, that's one I'll probably I'm sure it's I'm sure it's been painted over since. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, po yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I will say the graffiti on university bathroom stalls is much better than <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. A little more creative probably, eh? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, uh that that was the interview. Um is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Uh no, just uh thank you for inviting me and uh it is, you know, the end of March now and I hope the rest of the term is an enjoyable and successful one for you and hope that you and everyone out there that's listening is staying safe and uh hopefully we'll all be in person and be able to see each other at some point in the fall or not too in the not too distant future hopefully before i graduate <laughs> yes we shall see hello if you've made it all the way here congratulations it's time for a review of the podcast review of the podcast Woo. frida what does this week's review say this week's review is from asia and go Asian Go writes, as a life side major who's confused about my next steps, this podcast is just what I needed. So useful and so interesting. Love, 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 heart emoji. If you, wonderful listener, would like to leave us a review, you can do so on Apple Podcasts using the link that we put in the, in the show notes. It's, it's just down there. It's real easy access. Um, feel free to include honest feedback about the podcast. We'd, we'd really love to hear it to be able to improve things. Um, and we'll almost definitely read a review on the show as well. This has been another episode of So You Got a Lifeside Degree with Alistair Tracy about being an undergraduate course coordinator. 
We want to give special thanks to our crew of lovely patrons, including our Little Leaf patrons, Naeem, Daniil, Shafiq, and Shamima, and our fantastic foliage patron, Stephanie. If you would like to become a supporter of this podcast, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash soyougotalifesecurity. The music you're hearing is No Regrets from audiohub.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.